0: chapter 6 of Wieland, or the transformation an american tale by charles brockton brown this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter 6 i now come to the mention of a person with whose name the most turbulent sensations are connected it is with a shuddering reluctance that i enter on the province of describing him now it is that i begin to perceive the difficulty of the task which i have undertaken but it would be weakness to shrink from it my blood is congealed and my fingers are palsied when i called up his image shame upon my cowardly and infirm heart hitherto i have proceeded with some degree of composure but now i must pause i mean not that dire remembrance shall subdue my courage or baffle my design but this weakness cannot be immediately conquered i must desist for a while i have taken a few turns in my chamber and have gathered strength enough to proceed yet have i not projected a task beyond my power to execute if thus on the very threshold of the scene my knees falter and i sink how shall i support myself when I rush into the midst of horrors such as no heart has hitherto conceived, nor tongue related, I sicken and recoil at the prospect, and yet my irresolution is momentary. I have not formed this design upon slight grounds, and though I may at times pause and hesitate, I will not be fully diverted from it. And thou, O most fatal and potent of mankind, in what terms shall I describe thee? What words are adequate to the just delineation of thy character? How shall I detail the means which rendered the secrecy of thy purposes unfathomable? but i will not anticipate let me recover if possible a sober strain let me keep down the flood of passion that would render me precipitate or powerless let me stifle the agonies that are awakened by thy name let me for a time regard thee as a being of no terrible attributes let me tear myself from contemplation of the evils of which it is but too certain that thou wast the author and limit my view to those harmless appearances which attended thy entrance on the stage one sunny afternoon i was standing in the door of my house when i marked a person passing close to the edge of the bank that was in front his pace was a careless and lingering one and had none of that gracefulness and ease which distinguish a person with certain advantages of education from a clown his gait was rustic and awkward his form was ungainly and disproportioned shoulders broad and square breast sunken his head drooping his body of uniform breadth supported by long and lank legs were the ingredients of his frame his garb was not ill adapted to such a figure a slouched hat tarnished by the weather a coat of thick gray cloth cut and wrought as it seemed by a country tailor blue worsted stockings and shoes fastened by thongs and deeply discolored by dust which brush had never disturbed constituted his dress there was nothing remarkable in these appearances they were frequently to be met with on the road and in the harvest field i cannot tell why i gazed upon them on this occasion with more than ordinary attention unless it were that such figures were seldom seen by me except on the road or field this lawn was only traversed by men whose views were directed to the pleasures of the walk or the grandeur of the scenery he passed slowly along frequently pausing as if to examine the prospect more deliberately but never turning his eye towards the house so as to allow me a view of his countenance presently he entered a copse at a small distance and disappeared my eye followed him while he remained in sight if his image remained for any duration in my fancy after his departure it was because no other object occurred sufficient to expel it i continued in the same spot for half an hour vaguely and by fits contemplating the image of this wanderer and drawing from outward appearance those inferences with respect to the intellectual history of this person which experience affords us i reflected on the alliance which commonly subsists between ignorance and the practice of agriculture and indulged myself in airy speculations as to the influence of progressive knowledge in dissolving this alliance and embodying the dreams of the poets i asked why the plough and the hoe might not become the trade of every human being and how this trade might be made conducive to or at least consistent with the acquisition of wisdom and eloquence weary with these reflections i returned to the kitchen to perform some household office i had usually but one servant and she was a girl about my own age i was busy near the chimney and she was employed near the door of the apartment when some one knocked the door was opened by her and she was immediately addressed with prithee good girl canst thou supply a thirsty man with a glass of buttermilk she answered that there was none in the house ay but there is some in the dairy yonder thou knowest as well as i though hermes never taught thee that though every dairy be in house every house is not a dairy to this speech though she understood only a part of it she replied by repeating her assurances that she had none to give well then rejoined the stranger for charity's sweet sake hand me forth a cup of cold water the girl said she would go to the spring and fetch it nay give me the cup and suffer me to help myself neither manacled nor lame i should merit burial in the maw of carrion crows if i laid this task upon thee she gave him the cup and he turned to go to the spring i listened to this dialogue in silence the words uttered by the person without affected me as somewhat singular but what chiefly rendered them remarkable was the tone that accompanied them it was wholly new my brother's voice and pleyels were musical and energetic i had fondly imagined that in this respect they were surpassed by none now my mistake was detected i cannot pretend to communicate the impression that was made upon me by these accents or to depict the degree in which force and sweetness were blended in them they were articulated with a distinctness that was unexampled in my experience but this was not all the voice was not only mellifluent and clear but the emphasis was so just and the modulation so impassioned that it seemed as if an heart of stone could not fail of being moved by it it imparted to me an emotion altogether involuntary and uncontrollable when he uttered the words for charity's sweet sake i dropped the cloth that i held in my hand my heart overflowed with sympathy and my eyes with unbidden tears this description will appear to you trifling or incredible the importance of these circumstances will be manifested in the sequel the manner in which i was affected on this occasion was to my own apprehension a subject of astonishment the tones were indeed such as i never heard before but that they should in an instant as it were dissolve me in tears will not easily be believed by others and can scarcely be comprehended by myself it will be readily supposed that i was somewhat inquisitive as to the person and demeanour of our visitant after a moment's pause i stepped to the door and looked after him judge my surprise when i beheld the self-same figure that had appeared an half hour before upon the bank my fancy had conjured up a very different image a form and attitude and garb were instantly created worthy to accompany such elocution but this person was in all visible respects the reverse of this phantom strange as it may seem i could not speedily reconcile myself to this disappointment instead of returning to my employment i threw myself in a chair that was placed opposite the door and sunk into a fit of musing my attention was in a few minutes recalled by the stranger who returned with the empty cup in his hand i had not thought of the circumstance or should certainly have chosen a different seat he no sooner shewed himself than a confused sense of impropriety added to the suddenness of the interview for which not having foreseen it i had made no preparation threw me into a state of the most painful embarrassment he brought with him a placid brow but no sooner had he cast his eyes upon me than his face was as glowingly suffused as my own he placed the cup upon the bench stammered out thanks and retired it was some time before i could recover my wonted composure i had snatched a view of the stranger's countenance the impression that it made was vivid and indelible his cheeks were pallid and lank his eyes sunken his forehead overshadowed by coarse straggling hairs his teeth large and irregular though sound and brilliantly white and his chin discoloured by a tetter his skin was of coarse grain and sallow hue every feature was wide of beauty and the outline of his face reminded you of an inverted cone and yet his forehead so far as shaggy locks would allow it to be seen his eyes lustrously black and possessing in the midst of haggardness a radiance inexpressibly serene and potent and something in the rest of his features which it would be in vain to describe, but which served to betoken a mind of the highest order, were essential ingredients in the portrait. This, and the effects which immediately flowed from it, I count among the most extraordinary incidents of my life. This face, seen for a moment, continued for hours to occupy my fancy, to the exclusion of almost every other image. I had purposed to spend the evening with my brother, but I could not resist the inclination of forming a sketch upon paper of this memorable visage. Whether my hand was aided by any peculiar inspiration, or i was deceived by my own fond conceptions this portrait though hastily executed appeared unexceptionable to my own taste i placed it at all distances and in all lights my eyes were riveted upon it half the night passed away in wakefulness and in contemplation of this picture so flexible and yet so stubborn is the human mind so obedient to impulses the most transient and brief and yet so unalterably observant of the direction which is given to it how little did i foresee the termination of that chain of which this may be regarded as the first link next day arose in darkness and storm torrents of rain fell during the whole day attended with incessant thunder which reverberated in stunning echoes from the opposite declivity the inclemency of the air would not allow me to walk out i had indeed no inclination to leave my apartment i betook myself to the contemplation of this portrait whose attractions time had rather enhanced than diminished i laid aside my usual occupations and seating myself at a window consumed the day in alternately looking out upon the storm and gazing at the picture which lay upon a table before me you will perhaps deem this conduct somewhat singular and ascribe it to certain peculiarities of temper i am not aware of any such peculiarities i can account for my devotion to this image no otherwise than by supposing that its properties were rare and prodigious perhaps you will suspect that such were the first inroads of a passion incident to every female heart and which frequently gains a footing by means even more slight and more improbable than these i shall not controvert the reasonableness of the suspicion but leave you at liberty to draw from my narrative what conclusions you please night at length returned and the storm ceased the air was once more clear and calm and bore an affecting contrast to that uproar of the elements by which it had been preceded. i spent the darksome hours as i spent the day contemplative and seated at the window why was my mind absorbed in thoughts ominous and dreary why did my bosom heave with sighs and my eyes overflow with tears was the tempest that had just passed a signal of the ruin which impended over me my soul fondly dwelt upon the images of my brother and his children yet they only increased the mournfulness of my contemplations the smiles of the charming babes were as bland as formerly the same dignity sat on the brow of their father and yet i thought of them with anguish something whispered that the happiness we at present enjoyed was set on mutable foundations death must happen to all whether our felicity was to be subverted by it to-morrow or whether it was ordained that we should lay down our heads full of years and of honour was a question that no human being could solve at other times these ideas seldom intruded i either forbore to reflect upon the destiny that is reserved for all men or the reflection was mixed up with images that disrobed it of terror but now the uncertainty of life occurred to me without any of its usual and alleviating accompaniments i said to myself we must die sooner or later we must disappear forever from the face of the earth whatever be the links that hold us to life they must be broken this scene of existence is in all of its parts calamitous the greater number is oppressed with immediate evils and those the tide of whose fortunes is full how small is their portion of enjoyment since they know that it will terminate for some time i indulge myself without reluctance in these gloomy thoughts but at length the dejection which they produced became insupportably painful i endeavoured to dissipate it with music i had all my grandfather's melody as well as poetry by rote i now lighted by chance in a ballad which commemorated the fate of a german cavalier who fell at the siege of nice under godfrey of Bouillon. my choice was unfortunate for the scenes of violence and carnage which were here wildly but forcibly portrayed only suggested to my thoughts a new topic in the horrors of war i sought refuge but ineffectually in sleep my mind was thronged by vivid but confused images, and no effort that I made was sufficient to drive them away. In this situation I heard the clock, which hung in the room, give the signal for twelve. It was the same instrument which formerly hung in my father's chamber, and which, on account of its being his workmanship, was regarded, by every one of our family, with veneration. It had fallen to me in the division of his property, and was placed in this asylum. The sound awakened a series of reflections respecting his death i was not allowed to pursue them for scarcely had the vibrations ceased when my attention was attracted by a whisper which at first appeared to proceed from lips that were laid close to my ear no wonder that a circumstance like this startled me in the first impulse of my terror i uttered a slight scream and shrunk to the opposite side of the bed in a moment however i recovered from my trepidation i was habitually indifferent to all the causes of fear by which the majority are afflicted i entertained no apprehension of either ghosts or robbers our security had never been molested by either, and I made use of no means to prevent or counterwork their machinations. My tranquillity on this occasion was quickly retrieved. The whisper evidently proceeded from one who was posted at my bedside. The first idea that suggested itself was that it was uttered by the girl who lived with me as a servant. Perhaps somewhat had alarmed her, or she was sick, or had come to request my assistance. By whispering in my ear, she intended to rouse without alarming me. Full of this persuasion, I called, "'Judith,' said I, "'is it you?' What do you want is there anything the matter with you no answer was returned i repeated my inquiry but equally in vain cloudy as was the atmosphere and curtained as my bed was nothing was visible i withdrew the curtain and leaning my head on my elbow i listened with the deepest attention to catch some new sound meanwhile i ran over in my thoughts every circumstance that could assist my conjectures my habituation was a wooden edifice consisting of two stories in each story were two rooms separated by an entry or middle passage with which they communicated by opposite doors. The passage on the lower story had doors at the two ends and a staircase. Windows answered to the doors on the upper story. Annexed to this, on the eastern side, were wings, divided in like manner into an upper and lower room. One of them comprised a kitchen and chamber above it for the servant, and communicated on both stories, with the parlor adjoining it below, and the chamber adjoining it above. The opposite wing is of smaller dimensions, the room not being above eight feet square the lower of these was used as a depository of household implements the upper was a closet in which i deposited my books and papers they had but one inlet which was from the room adjoining there was no window in the lower one and in the upper a small aperture which communicated light and air but would scarcely admit the body the door which led this way was close to my bed-head and was always locked but when i myself was within the avenues below were accustomed to be closed and bolted at nights the maid was my only companion and she could not reach my chamber without previously passing through the opposite chamber and the middle passage of which however the doors were usually unfastened if she had occasioned this noise she would have answered my repeated calls no other conclusion therefore was left me but that i had mistaken the sounds and that my imagination had transformed some casual noise into the voice of a human creature satisfied with this solution i was preparing to relinquish my listening attitude when my ear was again saluted with a new and yet louder whispering it appeared as before to issue from lips that touched my pillow a second effort of attention however clearly shewed me that the sounds issued from within the closet the door of which was not more than eight inches from my pillow this second interruption occasioned a shock less vehement than the former i started but gave no audible token of alarm i was so much mistress of my feelings as to continue listening to what should be said the whisper was distinct hoarse and uttered so as to shew that the speaker was desirous of being heard by someone near, but at the same time studious to avoid being overheard by any other. "'Stop, stop,' I say, madman as you are. "'There are better means than that. Curse upon your rashness. There is no need to shoot.' Such were the words uttered in a tone of eagerness and anger, within so small a distance of my pillow. What construction could I put upon them? My heart began to palpitate with dread of some unknown danger. Presently another voice, but equally near me, was heard whispering an answer. "'Why not?' i will draw a trigger in this business but perdition be my lot if i do more to this the first voice returned in a tone which rage had heightened to a small degree above a whisper coward stand aside and see me do it i will grasp her throat i will do her business in an instant she shall not have time so much as to groan but wondered that i was petrified by sounds so dreadful murderers lurked in my closet they were planning the means of my destruction one resolved to shoot and the other men suffocation their means being chosen they would forthwith break the door flight instantly suggested itself as most eligible in circumstances so perilous i deliberated not a moment but fear adding wings to my speed i leaped out of bed and scantily robed as i was rushed out of the chamber downstairs and into the open air i could hardly recollect the process of turning keys and withdrawing bolts my terrors urged me forward with almost a mechanical impulse i stopped not till i reached my brother's door i had not gained the threshold when exhausted by the violence of my emotions and by my speed i sunk down in a fit how long i remained in this situation i know not when i recovered i found myself stretched on a bed surrounded by my sister and her female servants i was astonished at the scene before me but gradually recovered the recollection of what had happened i answered their importunate inquiries as well as i was able my brother and pleyel whom the storm of the preceding day chanced to detain here informing themselves of every particular proceeded with lights and weapons to my deserted habitation they entered my chamber and my closet and found everything in its proper place and customary order the door of the closet was locked and appeared not to have been opened in my absence they went to judith's apartment they found her asleep and in safety Lyell's caution induced him to forbear alarming the girl, and finding her wholly ignorant of what had passed, they directed her to return to her chamber. They then fastened the doors and returned. My friends were disposed to regard this transaction as a dream, that persons should be actually immured in this closet, to which, in the circumstances of the time, access from without or within was apparently impossible. They could not seriously believe. That any human beings had intended murder, unless it were to cover a scheme of pillage, was incredible but that no such design had been formed was evident from the security in which the furniture of the house and the closet remained i revolved every incident and expression that had occurred my senses assured me of the truth of them and yet their abruptness and improbability made me in my turn somewhat incredulous the adventure had made a deep impression on my fancy and it was not till after a week's abode at my brother's that i resolved to resume the possession of my own dwelling there was another circumstance that enhanced the mysteriousness of this event after my recovery it was obvious to inquire by what means the attention of the family had been drawn to my situation i had fallen before i had reached the threshold or was able to give any signal my brother related that while this was transacting in my chamber he himself was awake in consequence of some slight indisposition and lay according to his custom musing on some favorite topic suddenly the silence which was remarkably profound was broken by a voice of most piercing shrillness that seemed to be uttered by one in the hall below his chamber. Awake, arise, it exclaimed. Hasten to succor one that is dying at your door. The summons was effectual. There was no one in the house who was not roused by it. Pleyel was the first to obey, and my brother overtook him before he reached the hall. What was the general astonishment when your friend was discovered stretched upon the grass before the door, pale, ghastly, and with every mark of death? this was the third instance of a voice exerted for the benefit of this little community the agent was no less inscrutable in this than in the former case when i ruminated upon these events my soul was suspended in wonder and awe was i really deceived in imagining that i heard the closet conversation i was no longer at liberty to question the reality of those accents which had formerly recalled my brother from the hill which had imparted tidings of the death of the german lady to pleyel and which had lately summoned them to my assistance but how was i to regard this midnight conversation hoarse and manlike voices conferring on the means of death so near my bed and at such an hour how had my ancient security vanished that dwelling which had hitherto been an inviolate asylum was now beset with danger to my life that solitude formerly so dear to me could no longer be endured pleyel who had consented to reside with us during the months of spring lodged in the vacant chamber in order to quiet my alarms he treated my fears with ridicule and in a short time very slight traces of them remained, but as it was wholly indifferent to him whether his nights were passed at my house or at my brother's, this arrangement gave general satisfaction. End of chapter 6